Later this hour at about 9.30, we'll be joined by Governor Shumlin. He'll be joining us here in our studios, uh, and we would welcome your phone calls during that segment and also throughout the program at any time. You can reach us at the usual phone numbers. B244-1777. That's our local number right here in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. Later this week, we'll uh, delve into uh, some other topics, including uh, the latest on pain management. Uh, no death this week, though. We're, we're, we're focused a little bit, I guess, too much on that last week, at least according to some of the feedback that I got. All right, we're going to get right down to business here this morning, and uh, welcome to the airwaves, Dr. Vera Tarman, who is one of the co-authors of The Truth About Food Addiction. The name of the book is Food Junkies, and uh, Dr. Tarman is kind enough to join us live on the line this morning. Doc, how are you this morning? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for asking me to come on. Well, what's really interesting about this is usually medical practitioners who are dealing with this kind of uh, issue, who specialize in addiction, not necessarily suffering from themselves. Tell us your story uh, when it comes to eating. Uh, you mean like my personal story? Yeah. 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 Well, uh, it, it's it, it's true. I had to think of a, a fairly long time about whether I wanted to sort of quote come out and talk about my own story because it's often doctors do have experience, but we're sort of told that there's a whole patient confidentiality thing and don't you know burden them with your story and whatnot. But I I thought I would uh, come out because there's so much shame around this issue, uh, so much shame, and also so much reluctance uh, amongst the medical profession to embrace the idea of food as an addiction that I just thought, well, you know. So I'm talking from personal experience. That's what's driven my passion to uh, talk about this issue and help dispel some of that shame. So, what, what is what was your what was your issue with eating? Um, well, I, I found that I couldn't um, uh, stop obsessing about food. I mean, I there are times when I couldn't stop eating too and gained a tremendous amount of weight. Uh, but it was uh, even when I got that kind of under control, the focus around my life. Um, and and how what I see other people with uh, food addiction is uh, is just that's what life is about. You know, I do everything to get the reward at the end of the day, or you know, at lunchtime or break time or whatnot. Uh, and that kind of obsessional thinking, um, uh, it, it's just it's life. It's soul uh, uh, destroying, if nothing else. Well, it sounds as though it's sort of the all-consuming thing that people talk about with alcohol, drugs, and I certainly yeah. remember with with cigarettes. Always thinking, sort of, when when's the next one? Exactly. Even 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 when I was eating something, uh, I I was already thinking, well, what I'm going to be done in five minutes, and you know, when's the next meal? Four hours away. Well, is there something I can do in between? Like you know, there's almost a panic sense if you don't have that substance, and it's exactly. I mean, I, I'm an addictions doctor, and I saw the very same pattern with my uh, alcoholics and cocaine addicts, uh, and so then I delved into the research and saw that there was enough supporting evidence uh, for this idea. I think it was just the fact that every time I talked about it with my colleagues and they would say, don't be silly, we all have to eat, you know, the traditional resistance, that I just got really impatient because I think there's a lot of people um, who are getting diagnosed as, uh, you know, just overeating, just control yourself, or even an eating disorder um, when they should be being diagnosed with food addiction. Mm-hmm. What what um, what do you attribute to doctors and other people in your field not taking this seriously? Well, we've already got a couple of established paradigms, and when you've got something established, you know, that's the entrenched system, and how do you move out of that 
way of thinking. Uh, anytime I say something, they say, but they'll say, well, it's that. So, you know, the standard paradigm is uh, just go on a diet, you know, maybe go to Weight Watchers or some commercial program, and uh, you'll lose weight. You'll, get, you, you'll control your, your diabetes and your blood pressure, and all of that stuff may work for the short term. And, you know, there's more and more research now from the medical profession saying, let's not um, tell our patients that they're going to lose weight because it, it doesn't seem to be successful. Um, and and uh, for the other paradigm that uh, if, if you uh, if the patient says, no, I, I, I've tried every diet in the book, is they might say, well, you've got an eating disorder like a binge eating disorder or bulimia, which is, you know, both of those disorders are people who can't stop eating and might eat 4,000 calories in a day um, or even more. But none of those are the uh, addiction paradigm. So when you've got an established one, it's, people are reluctant to go to one, especially that's not well-researched. We're really just at the preclinical stage of research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's the difference between, I mean, the, the activity that you described sounded compulsive. Yeah. I mean, it sounded compulsive in the way some people with other substances, there's sort of a compulsion. What, yeah. Is there a difference between compulsion and binge eating, for example, or is that, or is that, or is it the same thing? Well, you know what? That's 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 in a sense that's the crux of the question in science. Um, is people, uh, especially in the established traditional realm, which is looking at uh, eating problems as, as possibly um, binge eating disorder or whatnot, and they'll say, well, what's the difference between this and what you call addiction? And I would say it is very hard to tell the difference because they look the same. Both people are, are obsessing about food. Both people, uh, you know, can't control their amounts once they start. And sometimes, will, like I said, eat thousands upon thousands of, uh, basically a week's worth in a day. Um, so what's the difference? Often the difference is in the treatment. And, and if a person takes the addiction paradigm, they would say, okay, what are my addicted foods? What am I addicted to? And then stop that. So somebody who's a binge eater would, would, uh, uh, would be able to eat in moderation. They'd be able to eat a little bit, uh, like maybe a, a dessert on Saturday, and they'd be okay with that. But the food addict can't do that. Once they start that piece of cake on Saturday, they want the rest of the cake that night and then another cake on Sunday and then, you know, three cakes on Monday. And so, if, but if you get, ask that person to stop, and they actually stop and, and, and uh, um, are not able to moderate, that's when we think, okay, that's one of the cues about the person being an actual food addict. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. ta- we're talking uh, with Dr. Vera Tarman. She's the author of Food Junkies. If you have any comments or questions, you're welcome to join us at 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. So what, what's really going on, I guess, in the brains of people that are suffering from this compulsion? Well, uh, when we take the addictions paradigm, we, we then start to talk about um, parts of the brain that are related to reward um, or motivation or excitement because, uh, you know, all of us as sort of animals need to be motivated in some way to, you know, get off our butts and do things like go to work and eat and, and you know, do the daily uh, aspects of life. And that reward um, piece there, that, that's, that's where the addiction doctors are very interested because drugs and alcohol... Um, kind of blow that system out of out of you know into the zenith. Like you get super rewards, supercharge if you drink or if you if you do cocaine or or, uh, or an opiate. Um, and what we're finding is that the same parts of the brain are lit up uh, it, uh, with food. And in fact, that would make sense because that part of the brain was actually made for our appreciation for food as well as for sex and for social companionship. 
So food, it's, it, you're really just uh, jacking up a system that's already built for food, but putting it into the, the zenith of pleasure and then the zenith of, of despair. You know, it's kind of like having diabetes. Your sugars are way out of control, but in this case, we would say it's the dopamine. The dopamine is the neurochemical that makes us excited. That's out of control. Mm-hmm. And is there, I mean, one of the things that people talk about is that uh, people engage in compulsive behavior to try to avoid other things. Is there, mm -hmm. is that going on with this too? Uh, not, well, yes and no. I mean, in the same way that somebody who's uh, addicted to something will use food or whatever the substance is to comfort them and yes, to avoid. Um, but uh, it, it's not like a food addict doesn't have to necessarily have you know, tremendous trauma in their background. It's, it's often the case. Um, but one of the things about a, an eating disorder uh, a perspective that a, a, the doctor takes that perspective is they'll try to find out, you know, what are the issues? Is it family issues? Is it genetic issues? Is it, uh, you know, the way that your cultural whatever uh, predisposes you to eating this way? And they try to fix that and then think that the food will um, the, the eating behavior will change, and mm -hmm. it often does. Mm -hmm. But with a food addict, that person can be the happiest person. Um, they can be in the best environment, but they'll still crave the substance if they uh, just started eating it. Mm -hmm. It's all about triggering it and then uh, being obsessed about it after that. You know, one of the things that you wrote about I thought was just fascinating was that whole idea you were just talking about a minute or so ago about uh, drugs and, and alcohol and food. And there was that finding that people that had that um, radical surgery to, uh, to try to get their weight under control, that oh, yes. there was a large number of them in the second year after it who became alcoholics. Yes, that's right. That's very interesting, isn't it? Um, the, the, part of that is because it's a substitution. I mean, what often happens is, is people stop drinking alcohol and then they gain huge amounts of weight because they've essentially substituted to food. But the opposite happens too, as you've uh, just illustrated. I mean, part of that is that the surgery itself, you're removing um, some part of the stomach so that the uh, absorption factor is much faster, so the person gets drunk much quicker, and therefore the impact of alcohol hits that person more if they've had the surgery. So the surgery itself predisposes the person, but then, like I, like, you know, I say, it's also a substitution thing. I can't eat, I'll drink. Mm -hmm. Let me take a call from my pillar, Eudora. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay, Mark. Um, doctor, I, I just overhead another stroke. Um, my, my PCA tried to get me, because my therapist, I wouldn't eat, I couldn't eat anything. And so she got me macaroni salad from Shaw's. Mm -hmm. I started eating that. Oh, that's so delicious. So I keep eating that. And I gained weight up to 155, and I don't know what to do, doctor. Huh. Thank yeah. you. All right. You know, unfortunately, foods um, that, that you get in hospital settings and in, in treatment centers are not very good for uh, any... They're not very good in general. Um, uh, they're not... They're usually very processed, and there's a lot of sugar and fat. So just, just being in an environment that's serving that, I know that we're trying to change that, but as it stands now, the best thing to do is to try to have your own diet. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what to say other than that. We have to avoid, uh, so that we don't get obsessed about food, addicted to food, as much as we can process foods, because those foods 
um, regardless of whether it's in a hospital setting or in McDonald's, it doesn't matter. Um, those foods are engineered to make people feel addicted, even if they're not food addicts. Um, so it's all about getting, being able to eat the foods that you choose and to st- try to stay with the fresh, like fresh vegetables and fruits and proteins. Engineered in a way to sort of light up those parts of your brain or something yeah. else. Yeah, I mean that's where the money is. Is it's the same with the alcohol industry and you know in the in the, in the uh, underworld, the uh, cocaine industry. You, you try to get the best stuff possible for the cheapest, and uh, you know people who have a hard time, you know, eating only one quarter of a bag of chips. It doesn't mean they're food addicts. It means that they're, you know, lured or addicted by that food, but they can put it down at some point. Food addict is actually the person who can't once they start. It's all about that piece of once you start, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's funny that you, you talk about this because yesterday I was actually listening to something on a TV broadcast. They were advertising some product that was that was a chocolate that was supposed to make you stop wanting to eat sweets. And I got to tell you, it sounded like such a scam. Yeah. And this was on like MSNBC, a major channel. Yeah, I think that's called uh, people wanting to hear what they want to hear. There is no magic bullet in terms of diet or even in terms of medication uh, for this stuff. Uh, uh, well, I guess the magic bullet is find out what the trigger food is. And like I said, it's probably in processed foods because that's what their job is, is to find triggers for us all. Um, and then if you're a food addict, you have to stop eating that substance. Um yeah, you just have to. So, I mean, when there's some kind of a con or, you know, you, you get to eat your chocolate, but it, it, it's not going to work. Not if you're a food addict. It just will not work. Yeah, I mean, then there are these things like the cookie diet. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. How did, how did you curb your compulsion? Well, what happened to me is I just sort of inadvertently, I was starting to get in. I was already in medicine, and I was one of those, you know, doctors who was very overweight, telling my patients to lose weight, um, and, you know, aware of the hypocrisy of that. But it's amazing how you can deny things. I just say, well, I'm not that bad or something like that. But anyway, one day as I was getting more involved with my addiction work, it just occurred to me, I am behaving the same as these people that I'm treating. Uh, You know what? Let me just, as an experiment, pretend this is a drug and stop it. And what I discovered, and and this really floored me, uh, was that after about three or four weeks, just like it takes to quit smoking or to quit drinking, uh, to quit alcohol, if you actually stopped, um, that the cravings went away. Uh, And the moment I would start a little bit, nibble at something because I'd lost weight or somebody said, oh, you are so good, you can have some, um, I would all of a sudden want it and even more. Um, so it was uh, just stumbling it on on it myself, what and then were, later I started reading about it, you know, to give uh, the veracity to this. What What were your trigger foods? Um, me myself, uh, I mean, it, it sort of starts to change, but I, you know, I really liked uh, ice creams and and uh, uh, and uh, oh my god, popcorn. I used to like popcorn at the um, the movies, and when I stopped popcorn, I was amazed at how uninterested I was in movies. I had no idea that popcorn fed my movie interest, which wow. was very strong. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. It's like, wow, you used to go to a movie every week. Why are you not wanting to go now? And it, I had to be honest, I'm not eating the popcorn anymore. Uh-huh. Um, I liked muffins. I loved bagels. Anyway, now I don't have that stuff at all, and I don't crave it. I'm Like, I'm good. What, what do you eat now? Uh, now I eat... Uh, uh, Vegetables. So, like this morning, I had uh, yogurt and berries, 
um, and a little bit of uh, soy nut butter, uh, and, and that's it. And then at lunch I'll have salad and a bit of salmon. So, But it, it, enough that I'm not uh, hungry. Like the, the, You can't be hungry when you're trying to eat properly because that will just make it messes up the hormones. So you can't. Um, but I will avoid foods that will make me want more once I start. And so when I'm finished eating, I'm finished eating. I felt like I want more because I'm fine. Mm-hmm. It's like finding a balance. People say, you know, you can't quit food because you have to eat it, but you don't have to eat processed foods. Yeah, but that is an issue. I mean, there's a difference between somebody who has a heroin addiction and a food addiction. I mean, heroin is not plenty. I mean, isn't something that we need every day to survive on otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. But we don't need sugar every day either. And and the fact that we think that we do and the fact that it's so ubiquitous is really testament to the power of uh, that industry and that advertising, that we think that we need that. Um, we absolutely don't. There, there is plenty of sugar in uh, fruits and in vegetables uh, to get by. Right, right. Yeah. But it's a different kind of sugar too, isn't it? Uh, it's a different kind of sugar. It's actually, I, I, I want to say it's a safer sugar. It's actually not if you uh, strip the fiber and stuff away. But in, in the package that it comes, like the apple or the banana or the grape or the carrot, uh, it, it's the safest way to eat sugar in the package that it came, the natural package. Mm-hmm. Not the Mars bars pa- package where it's been, uh, you know, refined and highly, highly, highly made potent. Mm-hmm. That's when it becomes a drug. Mm-hmm. The, the other end of the scale here, too, you say is an addiction, things like anorexia. I was a little surprised yeah. to read that. What, what's your theory here on this? I, I think the theory there is that uh, when we talk about addiction, one of the phenomena that we're be- becoming more aware of is that it's not actually the substance itself that the person gets high on, like the, the sugar per se um, or the uh, cocaine. Um, it's the uh, what it does to the brain. It, it heightens the dopamine. And, and the dopamine can be heightened by a substance, but it can also be by anticipation. So, you know, if you're gambling, there's, you can have a gambling addiction or a sex addiction, and, you know, there's nothing going in your mouth, per se. It, it's, it's the anticipation of this activity or this process. So with, with uh, anorexia or people who are thin, of which there's a higher percentage of food addicts than normal weight, by the way, um, but with anorexia, there's often an uh, anticipation of, of the thin, the whole concept of thin. Like, like a person will say, you can never be thin enough. Like, there's still a, a concept of more, but it's the, I want to be more skinny, mm-hmm. as it were. And also, the, the, the more hungry a person becomes, here's the hormonal neurochemical part in the brain, the more hungry a person uh, becomes, the more um, heightened their dopamine uh, is, the anticipation, like the... You start thinking about food when you're hungry, and then you start getting excited about, you know, I'm going to do it this way and that way and whatnot. Um, and, and the anorexic, they're not eating, but they are thinking about food all yeah. the time. Okay. So it's that same sort of compulsion and obsession thing you exactly. were talking about before. The, the same stuff firing off in the brain. What's the uh, what's the success rate in dealing with food addiction, say, compared to drug addictions? Uh, well, well, that's an interesting question. But I just want to back up in case there's somebody listening. Um, that there, I, I'm not saying uh, anorexia doesn't exist. I'm just saying that it could be misdiagnosed um, and, and actually be a food addiction. So, or you could have both. But uh, to go back to your question about what's the success, um, <clears throat> the success with a general addiction is, um, uh, you know, people have often said it's quite dismal between 10 and 20% uh, overall, like from the point of when you're diagnosed, 
to will you ever get better. Um, but if a person seeks treatment, that you know the success rate already increases, and then if they stay in treatment, the success increases phenomenally. With food addiction, we find that uh, a person needs a lot, a lot, a lot. When you stop the food, never going to have sugar again, never going to have flour again. But how can you keep maintaining that that stand, especially in an environment where um, people are always asking you to eat this stuff? Uh, right. You're going to need a lot of support, and we don't have that support yet. So <clears throat> my, my um, sense is that professionally I don't see a lot of success because we're not addressing the problem yet. But in the community, in the 12-step communities, where there's a lot of uh, uh, support, um, if, you, if you're able to access that support, um, the people who actually stay in those programs and get that support, it's, it's quite phenomenal um, how successful it is. People can lose... 200 pounds, 300 pounds, and maintain that weight loss. But they have to be willing to um, take that kind of support. Okay. I'm not quite understanding, though, what the trick is to maintain here. You're saying uh, support, main, but it's, yeah. It's, it's you want to stop eating, and then you want to stay stopped. Uh, it, you know, uh, people will use food for comfort, or they'll use food for social engagement, or they'll just get bullied into eating food, or not bullied guilted into it. You know, I made this cake, have some. Right. Um, so, so there's a sense on a daily basis of having support to keep saying no, basically. Mm-hmm. Both to your own desires, because uh, uh, you might still be um, thinking about, boy, I'd really like something to feel better, and also the external uh, pressures. Uh-huh. Did you replace your obsession with something else? What do you uh, What do you think about now that that time that you used to think about food? What do you think about in that time? You know, that's that's a very good question, and and it's it's I guess it's because of my own sense of the constancy of, of the battle in a, in a sense that um uh, I can really address this. Um, I, I no longer have cravings for uh, food per se because I haven't fed them, I haven't ignited them or reignited them again, but I still have the desire to. Um, uh, you know, placate myself in some way if I'm feeling upset or anxious. Um, and uh, I, I find that uh, I have to be very vigilant about the things I used to teach my patients about. Sleep well, um, eat well, which I do, um, exercise well, have a spiritual program. And, and, and for me, the spiritual program is I have this passion, like I'm speaking to you uh, and to your listeners about food addiction. So that's, in a sense, a passion for me that, that, that when I'm feeling down or depressed, um, I rely on these kinds of things. And I think that anybody has to find something meaningful in their life that they're going to replace, you know, that hole, that, that hole in the soul that often you try to fill with food. Yeah, but that's a little different than, you know, people in pressure situations might turn to alcohol or, or drugs. I mean, you turning to this mission of yours isn't quite the same dopamine hit as they're getting. You're absolutely right. And so because of that, I'm going to have to be extra vigilant to not let myself get into those pressure situations. And, and, I mean, you know, that will have to be a lifestyle choice that I'll have to make if I want to stay food sober, you know, what we call food serenity. Um, But, you know, on the days when I absolutely can't do that, I do have people I can call to say I'm going nuts and, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to have to use those other tools. Mm-hmm. It is possible to not have to, you know, rely on something at night, but it will require extra uh, support and, and uh, work. Right. 
Right. We're talking with uh, Dr. Vera Tarman. She's the author of Food Junkies. Uh, Governor Shumlin is here as well, too. We'll be talking with him in just a moment. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Great to be with you. Do you, uh, do you have any questions about food addiction? Do you know anybody? Have you had people who've had issues with you know binge eating, overeating, anything like that, anorexia on the other end? Well, we all deal with friends who deal with anorexia and other eating issues, uh, but I'm no expert on the subject. Yeah. Anything you want to know from the doctor? Just uh, want to encourage her to encourage her folks to eat Vermont-grown food because it's a lot better than all the other food you can buy. There you go. What do you think about that, Doc? Well, I don't know that. I don't know that food, but um, if it if it's relying on fresh vegetables and fruits, I'm all for it. We got, well, you, we've got to turn you on to that because if you're not eating Vermont-grown food, cheese, drinking Vermont beer, uh, you probably shouldn't be talking about food because it's the best food in the world. So, Doc, how do you know if you have a problem? What's the What's the sign? Uh, there, there's a few ways that we uh, determine it. Like, number one is the obsession. Uh, you know, you know, are you living to uh, eat basically versus uh, eating to live? You know, is, is that your focus? And, uh, and probably the next one is when you it, when you try to stop, can you stop? Like, can you stop at the four or five chips, or not so much chips, or cookies, or do you end up once you have a couple, you want the whole bag? And it's like that stop switch is gone. And the more you do it, the worse the desire becomes. That would be another thing. Is your behavior around food uh, kind of different? Like, uh, you know, people who are food addicts tend to want to eat alone. They don't want other people to see how they eat and how much they eat. It's embarrassing. There's a lot of shame. Um, do you obsess about your weight or your lack of control over food? Not just about the food, but what it's doing to you. Um, would be another one. And then the other, do you sometimes uh, minimize it to the point where, you know, you'll say, I know I've got diabetes now, uh, but, you know, I'll stop, I'll stop eating like this when I have my, uh, uh, when I'm on insulin or something like mm -hmm. that. Wow. Um, right. There's so, bargaining, that's called, yep. Yeah, that's right, or minimizing, that's right. So, so you're starting to exhibit behaviors that uh, look like uh, addiction. But you won't really know until you've tried the, the, the solution, which is, can I just, can I moderate? This is the standard model that, that the doctor will give you. Just learn how to eat a little bit, but you get to eat your favorite foods. Just control them. If you're able to do that, you're probably not a food addict. But if you find that you repeatedly go back and then it's even eating worse, that's a sign of addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please don't make it that we have to stop after four chips because I think we're all in trouble out <laughs> no. in that one. That's just testament to how powerful those foods are. That's for sure. Thank you, you know. for your thank you for your time this morning. Good luck in your efforts. Yes, thank you. Thank you for asking me. Dr. Vera Tarman is the author of Food Junkies, The Truth About Food Addiction. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with Governor Shumlin this morning. You're welcome to join us on the program at 244 1777 toll free you can reach us at 877-291-8255 back after this hi albert here from waterbury service center on main street we're seeing a lot of out-of-town customers on vacation here glad you're here however they're stopping here because of car problems when you're headed out on vacation stop here at waterbury service center first we'll check your hoses your belts thermostat to make sure there's no coolant leaks and make sure you have enough coolant for the trip if the coolant is low or undegraded and the thermostat's sticking you could have overheating problems we thank you for your continued support serving you well is important to us see you soon at waterbury service center on main street this portion of the Mark Johnson Show is presented by Ormsby's Computer Systems. See them at their new location on the Barry Montpelier Road just past Walker Motors. 
Known for their excellent and comprehensive service department, they repair all sorts of PCs and specialize in small business IT support. See them at ormsbyscomputer.com, Ormsby's Computer Systems, your total solution provider since 1982. The Big Dog Daddy Mid-Year Blowout Sale is on at Lamoille Valley Ford. Hi, I'm Dan Keen, owner of Lamoille Valley. Through July 31st, anyone who purchases or leases any new car or SUV in stock at Lamoille Valley Ford can take a $1,000 upfront discount. This is over and above huge Ford rebates and low-rate financing to qualified buyers on nearly every model we sell. Better yet, all truck buyers listen to this. Lamoille Valley Ford will triple your upfront discount to $3,000 off any new F-Series truck in stock including the new F-150. Right now, our lot is jam-packed with Ford Energies, Fusions, Escapes, Explorers, and hands down, the largest selection of F-Series trucks we've ever had, and we're making deals. And folks, I've instructed my entire team that whether it takes a bigger discount, more for your trade, or a lower monthly payment to pull out all the stops and show you that at Lamoille Valley Ford, we know price matters. Drive route 14, 15, or 16 to Hardwick during the Big Dog Daddy mid-year blowout sale happening now at Lamoille Valley Ford. Breaking news on Radio Vermont is brought to you in part by National Life Group in Montpelier. For over 165 years, at National Life Group, they believe good 